Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Courtney Reagan in tonight for Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk this evening, Tim Seymour, Karen Fireman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the NASDAQ and S&P 500 both marking record closes today, and all three major indexes posted gains. But there's a different story brewing in the bond market, so should you be worried? We're going to get some answers. Plus, some wheeling and dealing in the retail space. L Brands getting ready to offload Victoria's Secret, maybe? And two major mall operators strike a deal. We'll break down what it means for those stocks. And Pete joins us from the home of the Minnesota Twins for a fast pitch. What's got him so excited about this name? It's a mystery chart. You're going to have to stick around to find out what it is. But amid the coronavirus outbreak, we're going to start with Apple. Analysts at Wedbush warning that the iPhone could face big production troubles ahead, even as manufacturer Foxconn got the green light to reopen two of its Chinese factories today. Josh Lipton is in San Francisco to lay out what's next for the tech giant. Hi, Josh. So, Courtney, China is a key link in Apple's supply chain, and investors are focused on Foxconn specifically, and for good reason. It is the largest manufacturer of Apple devices. Its factory in Zhengzhou is reportedly back open for business. Only 10% of workers are apparently back. Still, that is important because this plant is described as the most critical iPhone production site. It's located only about 300 miles from the epicenter of the outbreak in Wuhan. And Reuters now says that another Foxconn plant in Shenzhen is coming back online too, set to resume partial production. But will Apple be able to make enough phones given these challenges to meet demand? You have seen some analysts think the company will ship 10% fewer iPhones than initially projected in Q1. And what does it mean for new products on the way? Could this disrupt plans for that new low-cost phone that was expected next month? It's not just production, though. China is also a key consumer market for the company. Remember, Apple operates 42 stores there. Companies extended store closures, though Apple says that its online store does remain open. Situation remains very fluid, and that's exactly why Apple issued that wider-than-expected Q2 guidance. Courtney, back to you. I got a question for you, Josh. Can you hear me? Yep. Um, so, how much inventory do you think they have? How much cushion do they have for this production slowdown? That's a great question, Karen. I mean, I know that's that's probably going to depend vendor by vendor. I know the analysts would expect that they have a few weeks. I mean, I, I think it sort of gets to the broader question, though, is, you know, it's really hard to gauge this for analysts and for investors because you're still trying to decide kind of the length, the length and breadth of this and therefore how much of an impact this has. I think it why, why it makes it kind of cloudy for investors right now, Karen. Hey, Josh, it's Tim. So uh, I, I'm here in two weeks, roughly, of spare capacity. But the question is, ultimately, uh, pushing out demand is one thing. Is there any sense that there's fear of, of actually rerouting demand? In other words, this is a, a, a temporary hiatus. This certainly is going to affect February. We've done all our modeling. We can see what it means for EPS sensitivities. But does it really do anything for demand? 
Yeah, so first of all, I mean, that is certainly, you know, you've heard bulls come on CNBC, and so some of that argument is, well, doesn't that kind of just push demand forward? Um, you know, consumers will wait to get their products. I think that's interesting to talk about. Again, you know, what if this goes on for longer than people think? How would that affect Chinese economy? How would that affect um, disposable income for consumers? Um, you know, I did, it's interesting, last time Apple reported, I had the chance to talk to Tim Cook. We talked in a different way about um, those AirPods Pro, right? And I asked him, are you afraid if people can't get their hands on your products right away, do they kind of turn to rival products? At that time, he was not concerned about that, said simply, you know, he makes such a materially better product that he's counting on consumers um, waiting until they can get their hands on it. We'll see. Josh, thank you very much for running all that through with us. You know, Grasso, when you're thinking about a name like Apple, and Josh brings up a good point, so if you can't get your AirPods right away, maybe you wait. This is, we think, a temporary disruption. We don't know how long temporary is, right? But it seems like Apple has done a better job of dealing with any disruption when it comes to China. Trade war, now coronavirus. Well, we were thinking about, to Tim's question, they were thinking about rerouting around right. uh, around the supply chain around China already. So I think this is a double whammy for them. Not as they can't do this. They can't flip a switch nor could they do it with trade. But I am one of those bulls who thinks that ultimately there's still a demand. Whether it's a demand now or whether it's a demand a month now from now, two months from now, three months from now, you still have over 46 billion in services revenue. People are still going to want the phone. I'm still staying along the name. I think other people should too. I think, five, I think five or six years ago, this is devastating in terms of what it would have done to the stock, in terms of the China news and the fact that Apple, you know, five or six years ago was much more dependent on the phone. But the world's changed a lot. Passive investing is now the norm. and I think money continues to flow in. The real concern for me for Apple here is none of this. It's just valuation. And at 21 times next year's numbers, I mean, this is historically at the deep end of the pool for them. The market doesn't seem to care whether it's the broader market or Apple. At some point it does. And that would be my concern. Karen, you were asking about how much inventory do they have? What's the cushion there? What if they close the factories again? They can yeah. go back to work and say, ah, never mind, never mind. Right. I feel like it feels early to send the workers back. Well, it said only 10% of them have come back, right, so true. I don't know how, how, much capacity, how much production they could do. They're a little lucky on timing this quarter and next quarter are the, the lowest earning quarters of Apple. So that's a little lucky. But i got to say, it's, it's one and change percent off its all-time high. As a holder, I'm a little bit nervous about that. I think it's a little bit stretched. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, the stock has, like, to be clear, the stock's done nothing. I mean, think about the earnings they had. Think about the opportunity for this stock to run into weakness, regardless. Uh, and I know Carter's going to talk about mega cap tech, so that's going to be exciting. Stay tuned for that. Having said all that, Apple certainly leader of the pack. Uh, we've done the numbers. We keep doing this up 90 percent from June, uh, and 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 yet you throw coronavirus at it. It's sideways. So they had a two-week buffer going into the Lunar New Year for suppliers. And beyond that is where you start to wonder what it means for demand. I don't know why demand changes based upon a delay. But what I think is, is important is the conversation that Guy brings up around multiple and multiple expansion. I think you're having the same story with regard to Disney. So when you're looking at a company that used to be hardware dependent and now you're having the services arm of it, I think, I think analysts are having a tough time trying to figure out what that new multiple should be. And I think that's why it's gone sideways. And that's why it's up 10% year to date. Guy, what do you think about some of the suppliers, though? So if, let's say Apple gets back online, even if it's 10%, what about everybody else? They can't make the phones without all the parts. Yeah, that's, that's been one of the problems. But, you know, some of these names, I, you know, you look at the, if you want to play the 5G, which I think is sort of, that's what's embedded in this Apple bull story. I mean, a name like Xilinx, which has been under pressure considerably, I'd rather try to buy that looking for the rebound in that name than try to play some of these other tech stocks that have just been parabolic to the upside. 
for example, like a Micron or an AMD or even a Texas Instruments for that matter? Yeah, and if you look at the semis overall as a group, that's a chart, actually, that looks a little bit more vulnerable. And remember, uh, when we were talking trade war, we were talking all the things that really should have derailed semis last year, semis significantly outperformed. So uh, I, I do think that that's a case where both some seasonality could be something that's putting a little bit more fear on the chips. And in fact, it, I think the chart looks a little bit different here, at least in the short run. I, it's hard to say that anything looks too bad, um, all things considered. Karen, you said you were a little nervous about your yes. current position. That mean you're just sitting? You're not making any moves? I'm just sitting. I probably look to sell some upside calls, but uh, I'm not going to sell it because my general view on coronavirus is that most investors will look through and a lot of companies will get a free pass on a week first quarter and maybe even a week second quarter. And as I said, those are the two lowest quarters for Apple. And really, it is the it is the 5G story, as Guy said. So we're not going to see that till later in the year anyway. So I am hanging on. That is a very good point about the free the free pass. Maybe you should toss some other things in there. It's going to be a little harder for us to figure out. Well, speaking of Apple, the charts could signal a battle brewing in big tech. Chartmaster Carter Worth is at the plasma. He is going to break it down. Take it away, Carter. Thanks so much, Courtney. So it, 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 the subject here is concentration of capital and the risks or the benefits associated therewith. The first chart I'm starting with is simply that, the top two stocks in the S&P 500. We know what they are now. It's Apple and Microsoft, and they've just now reached 10% of the weighting of the entire market. The last time we were that high, in fact, we're higher now, it was at 9.9. It was the actual peak in 2000. And actually, Microsoft was one of the two. It was GE at the time. GE and Microsoft then, this time Apple and Microsoft. But it, it gives to mind whether we're having any pause or dip. Even here, we dipped, we dipped, we dipped. This time, it's literally straight up. Uh, no fear at all. Uh, complacency, and that is an issue. Now, I wanted to look at AppleSoft, meaning those two stocks, versus Amazugal. Like, this is something right out of Dr. Seuss, right? Now I know what's going on. This is a beginning-of-the-year report that's now six weeks old, and we're just sticking with it for clients. The bet is that Amazugal, right, is better (laughs) than AppleSoft. Now, here are the lines, not uh, manipulated or drawn. This is right off uh, a computer screen. And I want to show it to you a little further back. The two baskets, a little further back. And what we have is a circumstance where one has broken out and one is just now breaking out. So here is AppleSoft, coiled, beautiful textbook breakout. And guess what happens? Look what it did. Fantastic. So why not, and always the case, find something that's about to do what something else has done. Take a look at Amazon. It is sitting right here. And guess what's starting to outperform, of course? Amazon breaking out, Google up quite nicely as Apple is struggling. I think this is the better play uh, if you're going to be in super cap names that are dominating the market. I love it. Carter, come on over here. That was a good one. Guy, what do you well, think? Well, he comes over. Well, you know, are... it's interesting. The first thing, I, I know Tim thought of this as well. I thought of pork chops Pops and applesauce. Isn't that swell? No Isn't that swell? That was Peter Brady. Peter Brady. Yeah, and I will tell that. you, I mean... Wow. You mentioned the Brady Bunch and, and the, the lights, lights go out. Go out. Very interesting. As they should, probably. My mother <laughs> anyway. made the worst pork chops of all, t- of all time. But getting back to Carter. She'd be happy to hear that. That's good. She, she actually would be very <laughs> happy. Yeah. With that said, I'm with Carter on this one. It does appear as the Amagoogle, Amazoogle, it does look like it's breaking out. So if you're playing a pairs trade, I would be taking profits in the former, the applesauce, and looking to get into his Amagoogle. What's so ironic, of course, is these, each of them, if you were to look at them as a basket, they're bigger as a sector. Amazon and Google, Amazoogle and applesauce are both bigger than utilities, bigger than energy, bigger than materials. I mean, they're their own entities, and they were quite correlated until the huge breakout in Apple and Microsoft. 
Amazon's just now breaking out. It's it's a better bet. Can I call it Amazoogle? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. If it was Amazoogle, anyway, it's 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 a lot for me. But but if you think about the rotation, look at the Amazon by itself outperforming the triple Qs by almost ten percent in the last twelve days. That's massive rotation. I think on a relative basis, people were very underweight Amazon going into those earnings numbers. Overall, though, something to be concerned about. This reminds me of what we were doing, the conversation we were having in much of 2015 when we saw that the, that the market breadth, was, first of all, the lack thereof, it was only in these mega cap tech stocks. And because we were seeing some global growth concerns, we were seeing a lot of concern on earnings overall. In that year, you saw Amazon outperform the, outperform the triple Qs, uh, or the S&P, I should say, by about 80 percent, Google by 40 percent. It's the same trade we have going on, and it's a trade because mega cap tech is defined Defendable on, on valuation and in an environment where we don't have growth, these are names that I think are going to continue to outperform. Karen, what do you think about this? Amazoogle or AppleSoft? Well, uh, not I neither mean, one. I, well, Amazon, uh, Alphabet rather is my biggest position. Right. So I kind of got to be so in the Amazon. You're in Amazoogle. I'm in the. Uh, okay, fine. Honest. I said it. I'm Amazoogle. All right. That's there the first step. I always, <laughs> I always thought Karen's Amazoogle. So Google was up. I don't know why it was up today. I didn't really see anything. So, I mean, yeah, that up $29. Anything. Nothing just, that no, I, it's sort of la- it, If you look at the super cap names, it has lagged Microsoft and Apple. So I think Apple's maybe a little money coming out and some money going into. But the really, the real big play is, of course, Amazon just having been sideways for almost two years and just breaking out. And getting those all-time highs today. What do you think about, have you factored in any of the, the valuation back then? Does that come into it at all? I know because so, you're technically based. Yeah, I mean, the valuation is much different. I mean, the, the multiple that Microsoft was trading at compared to now. Microsoft was trading at 35 times trailing, right? And then it was more like 60. GE was incredibly expensive at 40, 45 times. Um, you know, valuations are much different. Rates are much different. So there's no comp in that sense. But there is something known as moral hazard. Uh, and you have a lot of people counting on a handful of names mm-hmm. that if it goes wrong, the market can't sustain. There's no amount of money you can take out of Amazon or anything and put it into what, Foot Locker? I mean, Foot Locker can't <laughs> absorb that kind of money, right? No, and retail's down 12% right. this year. I mean, if you look at the disparity between the triple Qs and retail, it's about 16% year to date. It's not even close. Not even close. Carter, this is a fun one. Thank Thanks, you for this. Amazoogle and Applesoft. Love that. I'm going to have to think that through and make sure. Pork chops and exactly. Flip it around. Isn't that swell? Anyway, so switching gears, let's take a look at shares of Slack because this is giving back some gains after hours after ending the day with the biggest gain since going public in June. Now, the pop during the day came after reports that IBM had moved its entire workforce of 350,000 employees to the Slack platform. But in a filing about a half an hour ago, Slack clarified that IBM has been its biggest customer for several years, and that it's not updating its financial guidance. So now you see shares down about 7% after hours after reopening. So a clarification, yes, IBM is an important customer, but it has been an important customer. Yeah, you know, it's interesting they put out an 8K, which they probably didn't need to do. They don't need to comment on a business insider story. I kind of appreciate that they did because it was one that moved the market. However, now does it create the precedence for them that anytime there's a anytime there's a rumor that moves the market, do they then have to comment on it or clarify it? I don't know. Or does it make you think there's a conspiracy? Because I know the gentleman to my left probably thinks when that stuff gets out there that maybe all of a sudden you start to see something. And I don't want to, you don't make up rumors, but M&A is always out there with a name like this. And the idea of IBM, it's doth he protest too much type thing? I don't, I don't know. That's, that's what I got from it. Maybe a case-by-case basis going forward with Slack, but good points all around. Well, coming up, we're bringing you not one, but two big calls of the day. What's got analysts so pumped up on shares of NVIDIA? 
and FedEx were going to go through it. Plus, he may be one of the biggest bulls on Wall Street, but Tony Dwyer thinks there are some big risks out there. We'll find out what's keeping him up at night. And be sure to watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some breaking news on CBS Sports' latest move. Julia Borston has the details for us. Hi, Julia. Courtney, that's right. CBS Sports making a big move into sports betting. Now, it won't accept bets itself. Rather, it's announced it's partnering with William Hill. It will be the official sports book and wagering data partner across all CBS Sports platforms. The two companies plan a full rollout during the fantasy football season. The partnership gives CBS Sports access to William Hill's odds, experts, and its 140 sports books. The source tells me that William Hill will be compensating CBS to get access to its viewership. William Hill benefits from the ability to promote its wagers, of course, to all of those CBS Sports viewers. Now, this is just the latest move in a wave of sports gambling deals since the Supreme Court ruled in 2018 that states could legalize gambling. Now, some 20 states have legalized sports gambling since that Supreme Court ruling. Courtney, back over to you. Julia, thanks very much for that. Grasso, do you care about this? Does this make sense for you? If you're looking at Viacom, you want them to dip their toe into sports betting here? Well, Viacom, sure, I think it's a huge business in, in, in that area. And Viacom, if you look at the chart, is the chart is horrendous. So you have a series of lower lows, lower highs. It's down 20% roughly year to date. So if you're looking to place a bet on it, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally maybe you take a flyer on it. I mean, the price level. But for me, the, the, the technicals don't imply that I should be putting real capital to work. All right. We're going to move on here and check out shares of NVIDIA surging over 4% today after RBC raised its price target on the semi-stock. Analyst Mitch Steves is saying the chip maker will hit $301 a share. That's a new street high for that name. And it is our call of the day. Guy, what do you make here? We talked a little bit about semis earlier on. What about NVIDIA specifically? I don't mind it. I think they're late. I definitely think they're late. Valuation is always a concern. People will say, you know what, the growth is there. But now we're going to get towards levels we last saw in the fall of 2018. And if you recall, that November, they reported a quarter that was just horrendous and the stock got cut in half. Not suggesting that's happening here, but I think, again, this is sort of towards the tail end of the stock move. Maybe you have another, you know, 10 to 12 percent upside in the stock to get us back to that level. But I'd be more inclined to take profits here than to buy the stock as a new long. I, you know, I think it, it, 
with NVIDIA, the fact that they have enormous exposure to gaming uh, and some of these, again, leading edge technologies that I think are, are, are competitive, but they have in, at least an early mover advantage. I think NVIDIA got a little ahead of itself. And I think you know, there was a lot of garbage around all they were doing in Bitcoin. I think that ultimately cost the stock for six months because there was a little too much fluff in the name. End of the day, the valuation on this thing, it's always been trading you know, somewhere between 40 and 60 times. And you can't really get that upset about it in this market. So, again, at times we've seen NVIDIA be an albatross to own in a market that was actually punishing these high multiple stocks. It will again. But in the market we have where liquidity is running wild and mega cap tech stocks are outperforming, it's hard to see why NVIDIA is not going to continue to run. It is interesting. It's up 70 percent in six months. That's just incredible to think about that. Well, in case one wasn't enough for you, we've got another call of the day. Two for your money. Two for the price of one. FedEx also getting a boost after analysts at UBS upgraded it to buy, saying the bar is pretty low for this stock. The move comes after FedEx popped on Friday as it laid out plans to increase delivery efficiency and lower costs. FedEx up over 5 percent since then. Grasso, what do you think of this one? I I think delivery efficiencies is going to attract a lot of people because everyone throughout this name. Everyone was betting against this name. So I think the, the ability to have lower expectations going forward, I would rather mm-hmm. FedEx over UPS if I was forced to choose. And I do think the bar is so low in FedEx, you could probably just walk over it. Even though UPS has been the winner over FedEx because the bar is low, it's got more room to run. Too. Well, I, I, look, I, I like FedEx. I've been, I guess, early wrong something. I mean, you know, <laughs> I've been kind of in the stock for the last six months, um, and it's you know, it's largely sideways. If you think about the starts and stops the stock has had, the fact that they're using ground finally, they've been loath to do this, uh, but taking advantage of those ground efficiencies is very good news for a stock. If you look at the chart on this thing, it's been challenging the 200-day. This is the third time. I kind of like what's happened with this stock. I think the outperformance. Uh, relative, to the UP, relative to UPS in the next three to six months is almost a given based upon where these stocks have come from. So uh, a lot of bad news in the stock. Fred Smith certainly is kind of back to prove it to them mode, and I think he probably will have to. This makes sense for you, Karen? Well, I was a longtime FedEx holder and actually threw in the towel. And I think that this is the opposite of the NVIDIA call. This is a company that's so bad, the risk reward is so compelling, expectations yeah. are so low that the risk reward sets up. To, and that, that may be true. I feel like with the, with the slowdown, I feel like a UPS will be able to handle it better. FedEx is having trouble with, without any coronavirus, without any disruption, just on their own. So that's where I chose. So I'm, I'm on the other side of you. I'm UPS over FedEx. Oh, we actually do have some more numbers out of China on the coronavirus outbreak. So let's get over to Meg Terrell. She has the latest for us. Hi, Meg. Hey, Courtney. We're getting numbers out of Hubei province, the epicenter of the outbreak of the novel coronavirus. The new case counts are lower than we've seen in previous days. A 2,097 new confirmed cases. However, the number of confirmed deaths is a higher number than we've seen recently, 103. That brings the total count of deaths in the novel coronavirus outbreak to more than 1,000 total. Now, we are going to get more numbers out of China. This is just for Hubei province uh, later tonight. Uh, and public health officials are careful to say just from one or two days, they can't tell what the trajectory actually means. And they are saying that right now they're keeping their eye on pockets of activity in other countries where they're starting to see some limited spread from people who hadn't traveled to China and that they have a window right now of potentially stopping uh, what they call potential sparks there, Courtney. Back over to you. Got it, Meg. Thank you very much for that update. We've got a lot more Fast Money coming up. Here's what else we have coming up later in the show after the break. U.S. stocks seem to be shrugging off coronavirus fears. But bond investors are seeing a different story. Who's got it right? And what's that mean for your portfolios? 
and later. Looking for some retail therapy? How about a couple of big shopping deals that could change the landscape for the sector? We've got those stories and a whole lot more when Fast Money continues. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rallying again today with the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq closing at record highs as investors shrug off coronavirus fears. But the bond market could be telling the real truth about the market sentiment, and it's not all that pretty. Steve Leisman's back at headquarters with those details. Steve. Concerned about the coronavirus weighing heavily on the outlook for first quarter growth, and some forecasters suggesting the equity market is not taking the threat as seriously as the bond market. A CNBC survey over the weekend of 11 forecasters finds first quarter GDP estimates averaging just 1.2%, and that's down nearly a point from the fourth quarter, and with just a modest bounce back expected to 2% in the second quarter. The downgrades come mostly because of the coronavirus and the shutdown of production of the Boeing 737 MAX. Bonds seem far more concerned about all this than stocks. The 10-year yield is off almost 40 basis points since the beginning of the year. The S&P 500, though, remains up almost 100 points. J.P. Morgan writes in a piece, rate markets are sending warning signs creating renewed disconnect between rate and equity markets. What we find complacent is the idea among some market participants that Chinese economic weakness will have limited repercussions for the rest of the world. Equities might be sustaining their levels because of belief the Fed will step in later this year. A rate cut is built into markets by the summer. We'll hopefully learn how realistic that is in testimony this week from Fed Chairman Jay Powell. Back to you guys. Thanks very much, Steve. Hmm. Growth at just 1.2%. Well, despite today's highs, our next guest says the market's in a waiting game. Let's bring in Canaccord Genuities, Tony Dwyer. He'll tell us what's got him worried right now. So, Tony, are you worried about the signals from the bond market? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm worried about the fact that I have no idea what to do tactically right here. Um, it's one of those rare times where we can come on and be confident. And I, I'm not confident in really in either direction. What's interesting, Courtney, is when you think about the markets telling you something because it's at a new high. I looked today because I felt so stupid for downgraded it January 20th to neutral. I, I did it on the show. Um, the BKX, the SOX, the emerging index, basically everything is down from that point outside of big tech. So with technology being 25% of the S&P weighting, I'm okay to bring it down if you're overexposed to that to a neutral territory. So I think we just sit and, and kind of feel out when the rest of the market starts to lift up like the tech has been. So you're worried about everything but tech? 
No, no, other way around. I, I think everything else is correcting. Everything else is everything correct. is oh, correcting. Is okay, got just it. Just like the bond market is telling you. With the bonds at a, at a 155, it's commodities are relative performance is horrible. Small cap relative performance is horrible. Um, the, the bond market is telling you, the treasury market is telling you that the reflation trade or the cyclical trade has gotten pushed out a little bit. But I want to be super careful. I've said this every show. The last thing you want to do is be negative when you got an easy Fed, corporate credit, the Moody's BAA index is at a record low yield. So the lowest level of investment grade is raising as much money as they want at a record low cost. But That's I'm, extraordinary. I'm sorry, I'm confused. Um, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Okay. Um, and those reflation trades have been, been death. But are you saying that they're interesting now that they've pulled back? Because that was kind they're of They're getting call. more interesting, yeah. Um, they're getting more interesting as you work off some of that overbought condition that, that sat there and as the market's discounting a lack of growth. I'm sorry to cut you off, Timmy. No, no. I mean, because, again, it goes back to my, my analogy to you know, late 2015. If you think about what was really underperforming, that's it's right. everything that's been underperforming so far this year. Throwing industrials, throwing, you know, th- throwing, throwing steel companies, throwing, uh, you know, Brazil, EWM, yeah. all of these places that are the other parts of the world. Is, it, is there anything fundamental behind that? I, I think it is this expectation that you're in this global slowdown and you don't know where the end of it's going to be. I even What I did, too, is I want to make sure that it's not that the S&P is just up so much because of big cap tech that everything else is underperforming because of the, that was great what Carter did, whatever the heck he called it. Amazugal. Amazugal, right? And applesauce. Um, right. Whatever he called them, they're ripping, right? So I equal weight, I use the equal weight S&P against those other areas, and they're still underperforming. So it's not even just the two biggest names that are making it happen. Everything else is underperforming, which is telling me that, you know, we're just kind of in this digestion mode. How confident are you in a convergence of the out of favor with the in favor versus the out of favor just continuing on the path that it is, leaving the, I mean, the in favor, continuing out of favor, leaving those names in the dust? Well, we're all too familiar with algorithms and quant trading and all the fun stuff that works off of momentum. And you're going to have to shift that to turn it. You're going to have to, like, you've got earnings momentum, you've got upside surprises, and you've got price momentum in these big cap tech stocks. The quants are all over that. That's what makes these things run. And until you reverse that, it won't change. And I think that it's really, I don't, I'm not a buyer of value versus growth anymore, Karen, because I think there's so much passive investing that value stocks have become event stocks. Like they could have great fundamentals, but the only thing that's going to get them to rip is to be a money manager like you that can sit with them for six to 12 to 24 months and wait for it to finally have that catalyst that makes it rip. Look at Amazon. Even Amazon sat there for a while waiting for the quarter. It got the event and now it's ripping. So I think it's more catalyst based than style based. Tony, thanks so much for being here with us today. Being honest about how you're feeling or not sure how you're feeling about what's going on right now. Tony well, thanks, Meyer. Courtney. Thanks for being here. Well, tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, make sure to catch our CNBC special report, Outbreak Coronavirus, where we will give you the latest developments on the virus. Again, tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, coming up, we may still be a couple months away from spring training, but Pete's ready for baseball season with his fast pitch. We'll find out what the other traders think and if his idea is a home run. And later, we're counting down to earnings from Hilton how options traders are trying to protect themselves from coronavirus-related risks. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Fast Money. It's time for Fast Pitch, and this one's coming all the way from Minnesota. Our MP Nigerian joins us from Minneapolis with the one name he says is a total home run. What do you got, Pete? Well, Courtney, I got United Technologies, and it's, a, it's an interesting pick because of the fact that this is a stock that just literally came off of its 52-week highs. Now, Greg Hayes, I love this CEO, and I always start with the management because I think that's the most important thing. Greg Hayes came in, and he said, you know what? We are going to be bold, and we're going to be big, and we're going to make acquisitions. They did exactly that. They also have sold off some pieces. Sikorsky, gone. But the, the huge acquisition of Rockwell Collins, that was massive. And then all of a sudden, they next, the next thing they do is they go with Raytheon to create the biggest behemoth outside of Boeing in the industry. So I love how aggressive this gentleman is. He's essentially been with United Technologies since he started off in the business world after he got out of Purdue University. This is a guy who started off, they've been bought, they've been bought, they eventually got bought by United Technologies. He's been there ever since. He's done an unbelievable job, in my opinion, as a CEO, and he's been very, very aggressive. So that's something I think is very important in, a, in the markets that we're in, and he has an exact idea of where this company is going. Now, the next check I'd like to put out there is, on the fund- fundamental side, when you look at this company, it's trading at about 17, 18 times its earnings. But if you look at the forward, it's even less. As a matter of fact, when you look at about a, nearly a 2% dividend yield as well and free cash flow, this is a company, especially with the Raytheon deal, by 2021, they expect to have a free cash flow of somewhere before about 8 to almost $9 billion. So fundamentally, I like it. I love the management. And then lastly, I'd like to look at what their growth is. Well, They grew last quarter with their earnings per share. That's up about 8.5%. You look at the revenues, that's up about 8.5%. This is a company that they really are dead focused on the aerospace world. Now they're going to be bringing in defense. So that combination, I think, is going to be something that's going to be able to grow together. And they'll get rid of a few more companies in the HVAC world that's going to give them a little bit more money. A little bit's going to come off of what's right now a fairly decent-sized debt that they've put themselves in. But the cash flows are incredible. So for those reasons, I think this is a stock that right now at a trading, call it about 16 times, is way too cheap. And I think there's plenty of upside from here. So, Pete, how much of this is really about around those strategic initiatives that they're making where they're acquired, then they spin something off and they're really just creating some free cash flow for themselves? Is it more about that? Because this the chart looks amazing to me. But how much of that is just the strategic initiatives that you're seeing and I'm seeing? Well, I think it's a combination, Steve, and you you know as well as I do, we just heard from Trump, where's the spending going to be going, right? Defense. So they are positioning themselves, I think, to be in a perfect spot right now. And I think when you look at what Greg Hayes has done, yes, very strategic. They are trying to become a company a little bit different than what they were, which is getting rid of a few things, Otis Elevators, all the rest of that, and to push themselves right into where the money's being spent and where I think, by the way, they're even growing their margins right now, Steve. So the combination of all the different areas of growth that they've got, I think this is a company that very easily could go up another. I'm not saying it's going to go to 200, but I think 175, 180 is not out of the picture. Very interesting one. We don't have time for any more questions, but y'all have to vote. So... I think we're starting, Tim, with you. Buying this fast pitch or not? Yeah, first of all, great we're playing balls. Mm. Uh, we actually get it one day, six hours, till pitchers and catchers. <laughs> I'm buying it, Pete. Buying it, Pete. The cost savings actually is about the margin decreasing. They could save $600 million. That's a Mets logo guy, in case you didn't. New York Metropolitans. <laughs> the Mets. 
Got it. Yeah. Aaron. I'm a buyer as well. This is buy it before the Otis elevator leaves. Nice. Ah, I was clever. Okay, I see. I know. I'm not very good at art. Anyway, like I'm it. a buyer, Pete. I like it. Very creative, Grasso. I got to tell you, that was one of the best remote pitches I've seen Ooh. out here. Buyer. UTX. And I'll round out. I say Momo is your friend, Court. So you got a four for four. I don't know if that's Look good or bad that. for Pedro. You've never had a four for four. You've never yeah. had a four because for four. Sorry to hear that. The, yeah, but from here was always pitch. Ah, good point. Good got point. It, got by it. You. All right. It's been impossible. What a to good guest exactly. pitch. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right, four for four. Thank you so much, Pete. Well, you just heard from the Appreciate traders. It, Courtney, now it is your turn. Vote in our Twitter poll. CNBC Fast Money. Tell us if you love Pete's pitch on United Technologies. And still ahead, two big retail deals shaking up the space today. We'll break down what they mean for the group. Plus, travel stocks hit by the coronavirus outbreak as Hilton gears up for its earnings report tomorrow. We'll tell you what to expect. More Fast Money coming up right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Two big headlines hitting our retail radar. Let's kick it off with L Brands. Getting a little bit of a boost today after CNBC.com reported that the retailer is getting close to selling its embattled Victoria's Secret franchise to private equity firm Sycamore Partners. Shares of L Brands up nearly 33% this year, but still down more than 76% from their all-time highs. So could this potential deal be enough to turn things around for the stock, Karen, if they sell off Victoria's Secret, though, they've got Bath and Body Works, which has had a nice trajectory, but that's kind of what they have left. Then. That's what they have left. I mean, the problem has really been these mall-based stores, right, and, and traffic. And I, I don't know. I, I have been, I've sort of missed this evolution of the business, and it, which I don't regret, really. Uh, and I wouldn't be inclined to jump in here, actually. Yeah, I think this is a, a really tricky one. And I often wonder what happens to Victoria's Secret, because we talk a lot about how they have obviously honed this very sexy image, which is not really in vogue right now. But if you change a brand's DNA, then... What is Victoria's Secret? That's my sort of worry. What's Sycamore going to do with it? Tim? Yeah, and, and L Brands is one of those great examples of things. The time to make the most money is when things go from just awful or terrible to just kind of bad, and that's really what's happened here. So you started to get, you've got a couple rounds of earnings numbers, um, and the stocks moved from 18 up to 27. It's now at a level um, where I actually think there's there's really needs to be a fundamental turn, and I don't think you're going to see that. Yes, you can measure the sum of the parts, but um, I don't think there's much to do with the stock after this move. And, and you know, I could be wrong on this, um, but we've seen these moments in the last two years where L Brands had an opportunity to turn that part of their business around, and, and I don't think it's, it's going to happen. I always, I always think that you see in technicals, it's always in the chart. So all the fundamentals, it's always that, that uh, bet. Who has it right? Is it the fundamental player, a fundamentalist, or is it the technician? And usually in the chart, everything's in there. And, and Tim had just mentioned, since November, the stock's up 60%. Mm. It's bouncing around overbought on a relative strength index. Could it go higher? Of course, these th- things can blow up. But to enter it now up 60%, I think you have to know the story really well. So if you're one of those people, then you could dip into it now. I'm not one of those people who knows the story well enough to buy it up 60%. The story has changed a lot over the years when it was limited, and they own lots of different companies that are now its own publicly traded, but that's too much to get into right now. So Elbrands is not the only retail name that's making deal news today. Mall owner Simon Property Group, talking about malls, announcing a more than $3.5 billion acquisition of rival Taubman Centers. The deal comes as a broader slowdown, and brick-and-mortar shopping has really forced retailers to consolidate and seek alternate ways to attract consumers. Shares of Taubman surging double digits today. 
So could this be a sign of more retail M&A to come? Guy, what do you think about this one? I mean, is this just two players that are in a sector that is going through a lot of change, that they're stronger together than they would be apart? That would be my sense. I mean, Karen could probably speak more intelligently than I, but I think that's exactly what's going on. And sometimes two bad things doesn't mean it's going to own and make a good thing. So maybe there's synergies here, maybe not. I think you take profits in both if you were lucky enough to be in them on this move. Karen, what do you make of this one? Uh, well, these are the cream of the crop, right? When you think of Simon Property Group and Taubman. I mean, I, I didn't think Talmud would be necessarily sellers. And if you look at how, what a giant premium mm. they had to pay, Good. Simon had to pay to get it, Simon was even up on that news. Mm. So I think there is something for them to do to get... Simon is not expensive here, even with this acquisition. I think they're looking at the best of the best. There are malls that will survive, as opposed to some of the other lesser malls, something like a WPG or other ones that we've seen just, you know, whittling away. So, I mean, this is the cream of the crop in the space. Simon has been making some interesting deals, whether it's uh, buying a retailer at a bankruptcy, like Forever 21 with partners, or this one today, like you said, not necessarily expected. We've got a news alert on Uber and Postmates. Fight against California's new gig worker law. Josh Lipton has that story for us. Josh, what's going on here? Yeah, Courtney, we do have news on Uber and Postmates. Uh, reports suggesting now that a federal uh, judge has denied their request to temporarily halt enforcement of AB5, uh, California's new gig work law, which would require most companies to uh, reclassify contract workers as employees. Judge Riley here, the balance of equities and the public interest weighs in favor of permitting the state to enforce this legislation. We did reach out to Postmates. Um, they're telling CNBC that this is a procedural decision on the preliminary injunction and they look forward to continuing to present their full case on the merits. We also reached out to Uber. We'll bring you that response if and when we get it. Courtney, back to you. Thank you, Josh. I have a feeling this one is not over, as they both say they will challenge. Well, coming up, that's Mad Money's Jim Cramer. He's going to be sitting down with Take-Two CEO Strauss Zelnick. You can catch that exclusive interview tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And right after Mad Money, we'll have the latest on the coronavirus outbreak in our CNBC special report. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Fast Money. A big week for the travel stocks with Hilton kicking off earnings in the space tomorrow morning. Investors will be paying close attention to any comments on the coronavirus, of course. So for more on what to expect, we're going to get over to Seema Modi. She's back at headquarters. Hi, Seema. Hi, Courtney. That's right. Well, with China and lockdown, investors have become increasingly concerned about the impact of the coronavirus on the travel industry. In fact, lodging data from SDR already shows hotel occupancy declined 75 percent in mainland China from the 14th to the 26th of January. Key question now is how Hilton's properties have been impacted. It has four hotels in Wuhan, in total 220 in China with more hotels in its pipeline. And while its China business was likely impacted by the travel restrictions, analysts point out that Asia Pacific makes up a smaller percentage of Hilton's total sales compared to the U.S., where Hilton derives over 50 percent of its revenue. That's why the focus on tomorrow's earnings call will likely be on bookings and occupancy levels here in the U.S. And if there are any preliminary signs of the consumer pulling back on travel and vacations due to fear of infection. Now, Courtney, we have Hilton's report tomorrow, and then we'll hear from TripAdvisor on Wednesday and Expedia on Thursday. So a big week for travel. Thank you very much, Seema. Let's trade this one. I have to say, I'm, I'm, I was pretty shocked that a lot of these hotel stocks had not sold off more than they have, really, on the coronavirus fears. But I guess Seema's point is, look, U.S. is the big focus, at least for Hilton. I think it's important. So for Marriott and Hilton, only 13 percent 
of their rooms are from that area. So they're going to be focusing. See, this is where what we said before, are they going to kitchen sink it? Or are they going right. to throw it out? Are they going to get a pass on it? This is where the hotels can actually try to get a pass, but they're not really dependent on that area. So you could see them beat and then guide aggressively high or not guide aggressively mm-hmm. higher, and people can just say, all right, it's the coronavirus, and it's not really the case. So we got to do our homework and make sure we really understand where that revenue is coming from. Well, one trader is betting that there could be trouble in paradise when Hilton reports tomorrow. So let's get into the options action. Mike Coe, he's out in San Francisco. Hi, Mike. Hi there. So, yeah, we did see above average, about two times the average daily options volume in Hilton, which is going to be reporting tomorrow. And right now, the options market is implying a larger than average move. We take a look at it as well over 5%, which is considerably higher than about the 4.5% that it's averaged over the last eight quarters. The most active options were the February 105 puts. And you might think that that's very bearish. But actually, the trade I was taking a look at that we saw today was a purchase of the 110-105 1-by-2 put spread. So what's going on here? The buyer is buying the 110 puts and then selling two of the 105 puts. Is this a bearish bet? It is, but it's only modestly so. And the reason is this makes the most money if Hilton drops down to about 105, which would represent about a 5% decline or so from where the stock closed the day. And by doing this trade, you're actually taking on a willingness to purchase the stock at that lower strike price and effectively buying it at about $100 a share, which would be a decline of about 10%. So it is bearish, but it is only modestly so. So they're expecting after such a huge increase in the share price that maybe the stock could give back a little bit, but they're not expecting basically all of that to come out. We will see what happens. Mike Coe, thank you for joining us. And for more options action, make sure to tune in to the full show this Friday. That's at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Up next, we've got your final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's time to find out if you at home bought Pete's fast pitch on United Technologies. Hey, Pete, looks like you made a convincing argument. Twitter's buying your pitch. Uh-oh. Any final comment? The cool. time is life, too. No, I really appreciate that. I want you guys Ooh. to have a great night, and I would have guessed a little too high on the uh, time remaining in the show. So sorry. Oh, you heard it. You heard it. All right, well, thank you for being here with us, Pete. It is time for the final trade. We're going to go around the horn. Tim, you're up. In the topic of mega cap tech companies, I think Intel certainly belongs there. They also are one of the mega cap techs that came out of the earnings season with some upgrades on the base on the basis of the fact that they've gotten a lot of their, their house in order. Uh, INTC. All right, Karen. Yeah, I liked Pete's pitch. Oh, yes. look at that. United Technologies. I like the you know he made all the points for us. There you go. Margin. UTX. Car. C A R. Avis budget. I'm still long this name. It's up 60 percent. About six days. I'm staying long. Courtney, we love having you here. CMG continues to break out to the upside. Ooh, CMG making me hungry. Thank you all for being with us and for watching Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer. That starts right now. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.